through disappointments open doors. Greatness awaits. Through disappointments open doors. Greatness awaits. Disappointments can come from three basic directions. Something that did happen. Something that didn't happen in the time frame that we needed it to happen. And then something that hasn't happened yet. It just hasn't come into being. Still time that it could, but the waiting can seem endless. Let me offer to you this morning three things that disappointment can't do. Three things disappointment does not have the power to do. Number one, disappointment can't change the love of God for you. Disappointment. No matter who it comes from, no no matter what it consists of, does not have the power to change the love of God for you. I want you to find in your Bible this morning, your copy of the Scripture, one more time, the book of Romans and chapter 8. And I want to read down through these words with a comment or two, but I want you to see this from your copy of Scripture because you need something to take with you back into the real world, back into the real rest of the game. This is halftime. This isn't the game. This is halftime. We play the game before we come in here, and we play the rest of the game after we leave here. This is not the game. And we need to be armed, we need to be equipped, we need to be ready in our hearts to face the real world, to face the game. So I want you to see this. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. And I want you to notice all of the types of disappointment that the Apostle Paul lists here. But he begins with it in this way. Who shall separate us? Who shall cut us off from? Who will have the power to stop the flow of the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, 
or sword. He's writing this to Christians. He's writing this to you. He's writing this to me. The Holy Spirit knew we'd be reading this in 2018. God is God. He knows everything. There's nothing not hidden from him. And he knew this morning, this first Sunday in September 2018, that you would be sitting in a church house or you'd be listening and looking at your phone somewhere in the literal world. Last week, we had, there were folks listening, somebody listening to this, ser- this exact service in a hospital in Beirut, Lebanon. Go figure. And from different places around the world, it's amazing how we can collect and connect in that way. But God knew, he knew when Paul wrote this, that you'd be listening this morning. And he hadn't had to read, he hadn't had to read your Twitter feed, he hadn't had to look over your Facebook to know what you'd be in the middle of this morning. So it just stands to reason that that we can just go ahead and get happy. We can just go ahead and be thrilled that the Lord saw me coming, loaded with my trouble, with my my wagon full of the needs that are in my life right now, and he wanted me to hear this truth this morning. What shall separate me? What shall cut me off? from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, that, that means the little, the little nonstop, never shut up, right on your heels, chihuahua dogs of life. They just never shut up. They're, they're always there. They're always saying something. They're always putting pressure. You're, they worry you. That's... That's a South Texas by way of a Mississippi preacher interpretation of the word tribulation, the Greek word thalipsis, okay? The the fact that there are chihuahua dogs that won't shut up, that won't leave you alone, does the fact that they are present in your life mean that Christ doesn't love you? that the presence of tribulation means that Christ's love has been cut off. Paul says absolutely, emphatically, no, it doesn't mean that. Shall tribulation or distress, beyond, beyond the small stuff, the bigger things that can cause your heart to want to panic, that can cause you to want to cry out, this is too much, I don't know if I can do it. I'm in distress. I'm sinking. Does the presence of distress in the life of a believer, does the presence of tribulation in the experience of a believer mean that the flow of the love of Jesus Christ toward that believer has somehow been cut off? You you listen to some teaching and you listen to some preaching today And it would lead you to believe that if these things identified by Paul are present in your life, if you just had enough faith, if you just lived enough sin free, if you just knew your authority in Christ, you'd rebuke all that stuff and it'd go away and it'd leave you alone. What book are they reading from to come to that conclusion? 
Paul says, hear it. If you're in distress, things are over your head. Seems like you're in a free fall. It doesn't mean that the love of Christ has been cut off from your life. Don't let that in. Don't believe that lie. Don't go that way because it's not true. The enemy can, the devil can tell a lie just like it's the truth. And he knows how to work us and he knows how to convince us. But that's why we have this written word of God. That's why you can take this, hold it in your hand, put it on the dashboard of your Toyota or whatever you drive when you head to work and just pat it as you go. This is the truth. This is what you say about who I am. But just because I'm in the middle of some tribulation, just because there are some things that can be distressing going on in my life, or there is persecution, that doesn't necessarily mean you go to jail for what you believe. It just means that there's a level of ostracization. You're being ostracized by certain folks. You're being held at arm length. There's some things maybe that you haven't been able to be favored with because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That when everybody doesn't speak well of you, does that mean that the love of Christ has been cut off from your life? Persecution, or famine, or nakedness. I just don't know where you get this stuff. That if a believer is in need, if there's a shortage, even to the place of there's not, a, there's not enough to eat, that it would mean that somewhere there's not enough faith, somewhere there's the devil is in charge or in control or, 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 or somewhere they've just missed it. But Paul is saying, look at the list. Look at the list. I'm giving you the list that the Holy Spirit has given me. I'm writing what God has given me. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for roof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Spirit of God gave this to Paul to say. Even when there's nakedness, even when there's not enough to clothe yourself or even your family, even when there's not enough food to eat. It doesn't mean, hallelujah, glory to God. It doesn't mean that the love of Christ for your soul has been shut off. Even there. Because the point is, all of those points of description for the child of God are just temporary situations. We're just passing through this place. We don't live here for eternity. We're going to the Father's house. All bills paid, no hospitals, no doctors, nurses in ER units are out of employment. Well, we're whole. We're in fellowship, invisible, close fellowship with the lover of our souls, Jesus himself. And everyone who's gone to, gone to the Father's house before us, we see them, recognize them, love them. They know us, we know them somehow miraculously. And that's our eternity. That's our future. So all of this is just a temporary situation. There may be a season of hunger for a season, but that's all it is, it's for a season. There may be a season of distress 
But a shout of joy comes in the morning, the Scripture says. Amen. It doesn't mean that the love of Christ has been cut off from your life. Disappointment. Disappointment does not have the power to change the love of God for you. Now, folks, what we need is the work of the Spirit of Christ working in our lives to show us what lies we're believing, what wrong we're, we're holding on to about the heart of God for us. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to find tribulation. You're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome it. <laughs> I've overcome the world. You stick with me, and I'll show you an overcomer's life. You walk with me and I'll show you how to walk upon the head of the serpent instead of being struck by the serpent's lies throughout your life. Amen. Preach it, preacher. You know. Now, the reason, the reason there's so much energy this morning is because there's this real conviction that some of you are in this house specifically because the Lord wanted these truths shouted in your direction. To get through, to be let in. And that, that's not, not, the bullet's not, it's not coming here to hit somebody here, somebody behind you, up high and to the left and low and to the right. Let the Lord and the people of the Lord hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, we can walk out of here whipped and beaten down because somebody's on our case or because Chihuahua Dog's about to eat our heels off or because we got some th thoughts that are distressing if they happen. We can walk out of here buckled over, bent down, just barely making our way out to our car and just try to go get a nap and sleep all afternoon. Maybe we'll wake up and it'll be better in the morning, which it won't. Circumstances won't change. Or we can assume that nothing that I can see Nothing that is causing me to feel distress or loneliness or heartache or rejection. None of that is the truth about what my Savior feels toward me. The one who loved me the most still loves me more than anything else and anybody else I could ever know. Now that's Romans 8. You look at verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able, shall have the power to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's one thing to hear that. It's one thing to hear that loudly hollered at you. It's an entirely different thing to feel it in your soul. The love word is not an academic word. The love word is not an intellectual word. The love word is a purely emotional word. He wants us to feel his love. To know that we're loved. Because we feel it in our hearts. You say, well, I'm not really into this touchy-feely God stuff. Well, you better get over that, sister. Our brother, he didn't just die on the cross to save our brains. He died on the cross to save your soul, mind, emotion, and will. It matters to him how you and I feel toward him. And when we've lost 
that sense of loving him, as well as that sense of being loved by him. It is something we have the right to bring before him and to say, Lord, would you restore my first love? Will you cause me to feel and to know in my heart that you love me? That song, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't feel the sense of our love, of Lord, let me know. Help me. To know. I want you to know this verse is also in your Bible. Romans chapter 5. Turn back to the left a couple of pages. Romans chapter 5. Paul writes in verse 3. Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. We rejoice in our tribulations. We celebrate our tribulations. Why in the world, Paul, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. The tribulation results in us not quitting. Tribulation results in us staying in the fight, staying in the fire, staying with it, developing the ability to hang on, to not quit, to persevere. And perseverance results in proven character. Not just advertised character. Not just wish I was kind of character. Proven character. The fact that you don't give up, the fact that we don't quit, the fact that we don't check out on the Lord, when the tribulations come and we stay with him through them, it's proving our character. That we're not a fair weather lover. That we're not, oh, I'll sing your praises on Sunday morning, but I can't wait till Saturday night because Saturday night is what I really enjoy. He knows that. He knows that. He knows who we really are. He knows, he knows when our hearts are turned to him, and then he knows when our hearts have been pulled away from him. And he set within us a want to, to cry out, Lord, forgive me. Lord, wash me. Lord, restore me. Because I don't want to go that way anymore. The old things have been passed away. New things have come. It's the work of Christ. It's the work of his presence in our hearts. And he draws us. The most powerful drawing that we will ever experience is not the drawing of fear or the drawing of duty or the drawing of an expectation from somebody else. It is the drawing of love. You're going to do what you love to do. Am I in here by myself this morning? We're going to do what we want to do. That's why Jesus comes to live inside of us by his spirit to work on our want to. Now, I'm going to tell you, this, this whole business of the Christianity as properly understood is supposed to be just another set of rules. No, it isn't. Christianity is supposed to be the life 
of Jesus inside the soul of a man or woman working from the inside out to change what we want to, to change our desires so that that's the directions we go even in a default position, a reflex position. What do you want, Lord? Love being with you, Lord. I want, that, that, when, you, when you love something, all the other competitors pale in comparison. Can I get a witness? These poor people up in the north, these poor people up in Montana, they think they know about ice cream. They think they know about vanilla. They think they know about chocolate. They got this, this thing in a bucket called moose tracks. It's the sorriest excuse for frozen cream on the face of the earth. They have never stuck a spoon in a, in, a, in a brand new tub of homemade vanilla from Bluebell. They never have. Because if once they did, that creamery would just go bankrupt because nobody would buy it. Okay, now that, that's just trying to bring it down to where most of us live. We're going to eat what we love to eat even sometimes if it's more than or not what we ought to. The Lord knows that about you. And he doesn't say come to me just so I can give you a new set of rules to keep. Come to me, all you, listen to this, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll put my permission, my rest inside you. You're going to love somebody like that. You're going to want to be around somebody like that. And here's how that is made known to us. Look at verse 5, proven character 4, proven character results in hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God, here's the verse, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we hadn't repented of nothing. We hadn't been to church yet. We hadn't learned the first phrase of amazing grace. We hadn't given a dime to the church. We hadn't quit anything and we had started everything wrong. Even in that place, Jesus Christ died for us. He died for me there. He didn't die for me when I got cleaned up, when I changed my vocabulary, when I started running with different people. He knew what he was getting when he got you. And when he got me. And he didn't quit on the project. He didn't say that one's too dirty. That one's too hopeless. That one's too far gone. That one's too weird. <laughs> he died for us. Even while we were yet sinners. Okay, that, that, is to, that is to feed back up to this truth in verse 5. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
Now think back. How were you drawn into a saving, believing relationship with Jesus Christ? How how were you drawn there? Was it the was it the the threat of hell? Was it the ought to of other folks around you? Or was it somehow, some way that this Jesus was loving you? That, that it, it, is, it, is the, it is the kindness of God, Paul would say, the goodness and kindness of God that leads a man around. Where does that come from? Paul will say that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what he says here in the use of the tense, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The felt love of God. It's not academic. It's not about just knowing something. Love is a word that has to be felt in order for it to be experienced, in in order for it to be real to the person. So who does that to us? Do we try to drum up love? Do we try to copy somebody who we feel like loves God? No. Paul says it is a function of the Spirit of God, the invisible presence of Jesus who moves within us. And at the time of our being brought to him, his love toward us is poured out within our hearts. Now, we can trot people through a sinner's prayer. And there's nothing wrong with leading folks in a sinner's prayer. That's the right direction. But nothing has happened until the love of God in that soul's heart has been poured out within them. That is a function of the Spirit. That means that the person who is now loved knows he or she is loved and starts to love out from himself, from herself, because he was first loved by God. Okay. But Paul says, he uses what is known as the perfect tense in the original language, in the verb. It means when he says, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Meaning that the first time the love of God was poured out within us, was at the time that we were being drawn into relationship with Jesus. Our hearts were being warmed. We were stirred toward him, drawn toward him. But the tense, the perfect tense means that what God did in the beginning, what was done by the power of the Spirit in the beginning, is lingering, is continuing. It has the same effect today or is to have the same effect today as it did the first time we came to know the Lord. Has been, is being, continues to be poured out. The effect of what we felt back yonder is that which we are supposed to expect that we will enjoy from here on in. So it shouldn't be, well, I just know all these Bible verses now. I'm really smart in the Bible, but you know, I feel like I just, I don't really know the Lord like I should know the Lord. I'm not as close to him as I wish I could be, but I sure have a lot of Bible knowledge. Then it may be that you missed the whole cotton picking point. The scripture was never intended to be an entity within itself. 
Paul will say there's no commandment in Galatians 3. There's no commandment that has the power to give life. Only Jesus Christ, by the presence of his spirit, by his love working in your heart, has the ability to change you and me into new creations. Amen. So we're told that. We're told that. But from the beginning, from the beginning of our being drawn into a relationship with Christ, the spirit of God poured out the love of God in our hearts. And the effect of that is to continue right on through today. Meaning that it is a function of the Holy Spirit to let you know you're loved. So if I'm sitting here today and I'm in church, I got my Bible, you know, and I, I'm, I'm I parked in the parking lot, church parking lot, and I'm here, but I don't feel anything this way. I mean, I know it's right for me to be here, but, but I don't feel anything. What do I do? You go to the source. You you don't start spending your time trying to drum up some new activity to get you back in the love of God. You just go straight back to the Lord, to the Spirit. Lord, I need to know that you love me. I, I, I I want to know that. I need to know that. You know me, Lord. I'm going to be moved in the direction of the things I love. And I'm drifting, and I know I'm drifting. And isn't it amazing how the Lord doesn't come to us with a whole new set of quits and starts and this? That's not how he works, because he knows that's not the issue. The issue is not a new stack of rules. The issue is not another straitjacket. The issue is my heart all over again, falling in love with my Savior. For he shows me his love. He reveals his love to me. So you ask him for that. Church, ask him for that. You know, I, you know if I mentioned the name Max Lucado, most of you in this room would know our, our brother and our, our friend, Oak Hills Church, author. I, I, I remember being at a time with him some years ago. And we're just, pastors were asking, what, so we were talking, what, what do you do? Max, how do you start your day? How, how do you do what you <laughs> You know what he said? The first thing I ask the Lord when I start my day is, Lord, would you please love me? Would you please love me? He said, I I know he does, but that's not what I'm asking. He knows what I'm asking. Lord, I need to know afresh today that you love me. Because then, if I'm knowing that I'm loved by him, and that's fresh and that's real, then I will love back because he first loved me. That's 1 John. You got permission. You got permission to say, Lord, will you let me know, will you help me to know that you love me? Because the reality of the love flowing from God to us doesn't change. Disappointment can't change the love of God for you. Number two, disappointment can't cancel the promises of God for you. Just because something didn't work out, it doesn't mean that God doesn't intend 
to fulfill his promise. It may just be that it's going to be in a completely different setting than you thought. A completely different arrangement than you thought. A completely different time period in your life or geographic location or profession, if you will, in your life. I love the word of the Lord in Isaiah 55, verse 9. And hold on to this one. If you, if you have uh, read this one before and... Um, you may not have read it in a while. We, we quote it quite often around here, speaking of let the, let the wayward man or woman, let the sinner come back to the Lord because there's abundant, forg- abundant forgiveness waiting. But then he goes on to say in verse 9, Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. He's saying, I promised restoration. I promised an end to your sadness. I promised reconciliation. You watch the rain. You watch what happened. When the rain hits the ground, you hide under a mesquite bush and you watch what happens. If when the rain hits the dry ground and some time passes, if something that was not even known to be living in the dirt, something that hadn't even been discovered, something that hadn't even been planted or tilled, it will begin to grow. Because my word has promised and my word will produce. Disappointment, disappointment can't cancel the promises of God for you. The third thing is disappointment not only doesn't have the power to change the love of God for you or to cancel the promises of God for you, but disappointment can't forfeit the plans of God for you. Disappointment can't forfeit the plans of God for you. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, David writing this at the end of his life. He started out a clean, strong, powerful young man of God. And God blessed him, the Goliath days, the being elevated into the kingdom, the two tribal groups or the two main tribal groups came together, claimed him, named him as the king. But then the Bathsheba situation happened. The Uriah situation happened. He, he was living 
in a way, therefore, those months or few years, living in a way that was everything opposite of what God had commissioned him and planned for him to be. He was broken from his sin. Psalm 51, there for us to read. Against thee and thee only, God, have I sinned and done evil in thy sight. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Then I'll be able to teach sinners their ways and I'll go on with your mission for my life. He writes at the end of his life in Psalm 37 these words. The steps of a man, a woman, the steps of a person, the steps of a man, David would say, are established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. And when he falls, he'll not be cast headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. But folks, listen, here's the point. When God gave you a dream, when God put a promise in your heart, when God indicated something to you that he wanted to do with you and through you, the dream came from him. And he had incorporated into the fulfillment of that dream, some way, somehow, the knowledge of your worst days, the knowledge of your failing season, the knowledge of the time when you would not live in the way that he would want you to live. And indeed, there are things lost in those seasons. But hallelujah, the Lord is the one who takes hold of my hand. And even though I've fallen, He's got my hand, the Lord. I'm not holding on to him. He's holding on to me. The only reason some of us are still alive today, the only reason some of us still have any kind of a life left at all with any kind of a future is because it wasn't me reaching out for God. It was him reaching down for me. He took, he, he will not be fallen, be allowed to fall into destruction and ruin because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. The plans of God for a life take into account the miserable seasons that we can find ourselves in. And it may very well be that in those miserable seasons, those are the times when we're learning more about the heart of our Father, the heart of our Savior, than we ever knew when we thought we were doing everything exactly right. God is love. God is love. God is love. We, we, when we're doing everything right, we can think God is rules. God is order. God is boxes. We don't necessarily need to know desperately that he loves us and that he has the ability to forgive until we find ourselves in a place where if he doesn't forgive us, we're toast. If he doesn't meet us with loving kindness and mercy, we have no future. But then when we find as we turn back to him, that he responds with kindness. He responds with marriages of restoration. Some things are lost, never to be recovered again. But the big thing, the big thing is restored. And the big thing above everything else is us being able to walk again, knowing the love of my Savior. I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment, I deserve hell.
But my Lord and my Savior loves me. And the reason I know he loves me is because he loved me in the middle of my junk. Not after I'd been baptized, not after I cleaned myself up, but in the middle of my junk. He made his love for me known. And I'm drawn to that. My heart is one in that way. I want that one. I want to be close to that one. Not not, not the rule-making God, but the sinner-loving Christ. Oh, my. So, so, disappointment, however it comes, does not have the power to change the love of God for you cancel the promises of God to you or to forfeit the plans of God for you. Philippians 1.6 I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will finish the work that he started. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Daniel could never have imagined that even though he might have had some kind of a desire as a young man to be influential, to, to, to have an opportunity to lead and to affect culture or policy. But he never in a million years could have imagined that he would be the one chosen by God to speak visibly, vocally, personally to Nebuchadnezzar the king who had been allowed to destroy Jerusalem. God would pick him out. God would pick him out for a good work that could never be accomplished in Jerusalem. The good work that the Lord had prepared for Daniel to walk in, the good work could not have been full performed any other place than Babylon. So your disappointment Your disappointment has left you in a new place, in a strange place, in a foreign place. But if that is the place where the Lord has allowed you to land, your life is not over with in that place. There are things yet to be done through you, yet to be done by the power of God working through you in that place that might be the epitome of your worst nightmare. You know in your heart his love hadn't changed, his plans haven't been forfeited, and that he is where you are with eyes on him, seeking to honor him. He will honor you, and he has you in the. He needed Daniel to be in Babylon, he needed a mouthpiece to Nebuchadnezzar, he needed Daniel to be there. Daniel didn't. So I said, well, I'm in a place I never thought I'd be. Well, you got a bunch of company in the book. 
Amen. So, so let me wrap this up with just two or three summary statements. And we may in the next few Sundays to come, we may dig a little deeper into David's life, into Joseph's life in particular, because those are two men along with Daniel who if they had let their disappointments own them, if they had let the circumstances, the people who generated disappointment, the, the measure of leverage, of influence and force that was, that was brought against them, if they had let all of that discouragement own them, we would never have heard the name David. We, we would never have known about Joseph. So we need to maybe look a bit, a little bit further with those. But in your heart this morning, if you're dealing with disappointment, trying to get past it, trying to see about the rest of your life, you hold on to the truth that the presence of that disappointment, the sound of the voice of that person who has disappointed you, and all that would go with it, the disappointment does not mean that God's love for you has changed one fraction of an inch. He loves you as much today as he ever did in the other places. The disappointment doesn't mean that his love for you has changed. Hold on to that and cry out, Lord, I need to know your love. By your spirit, fill me with the sense of your love. Most important prayer you'll ever pray. To begin a day, especially when it's in a season of disappointment. Lord, I need to know you love me. Help me to know you love me. Now, how will you know? Well, how do you know if you're cold or hot this morning? You just know. You just know. Nobody's going to have to come and tell you God loves you. You're going to know in your door that he loves you. It'll do something from the inside. Your face will get a little brighter. Your, your smile will come back again in, in some ways and in time because I'm loved. I'm loved. His banner over me is love. Second thing, the promises of God for you. Lash your soul to the promises of God. God's word will not change. His promise to you, his promise to his people will not change. Now, here's one I just, I just love to talk about because there is, there is so much of an automatic reciprocal response from the Lord. Something financially happens to disappoint you. And so our next deal can be, well, God, if I had money, I'd bless you. If you, if you bring me through this, I'd be, no, you won't, no, you won't, no, you won't, no, you won't, no, you won't. You be found faithful with the first penny out of every dime that belongs to him, even if, you're, if, even if your net worth has shrunk down to the side of a pencil eraser. You lash your financial world to the promise of God. He's the one who, if he ran out of gold, he'd just make some more. Cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. He'll just fashion some more bovines if he needs to. Faithful in the little things. I wonder why. He gave us, he said, just do the math. Just do the math. Malachi 3.10. 
you test me now in this. And this was, it was a group of people that they weren't living in the lap of luxury. They didn't have a bunch of stuff. They, they were in the middle of drought. They were in the middle of deprivation. And the Lord said, here's how you fix it. You've been robbing me. Stop robbing me. First 10% belongs to me. Bring that to me. You honor me. And then you just step back and you watch how I will honor you. Folks, it doesn't mean you won't get fired. It doesn't mean that there won't be transitions in the corporate world. It doesn't mean that there won't be ups and downs in the stock market and ups and downs in retail. But what it means is you have opened your financial world up to the God who owns everything, who loves you, and who says, it's almost as if I dare you to test me in this. Do the math. First 10% belongs to me. You spend the rest as you want, and you, but you watch what I will do to bless you in return. These, these instances, Daniel, David, Joseph, in each of those three instances, they were blessed with material prosperity beyond anything that they could ever imagine. The Lord knew he could trust them with it, and it wouldn't ruin them. But they got there because they were faithful in little things. They were faithful with the dimes. They were faithful with the quarters. They were faithful with the hundred dollars. They were faithful with the thousand. They were faithful to meet the Lord and to pour their hearts out to him and to honor him and obey him. And he blessed them no matter where they were. Old Joseph. Remember Joseph? Got hijacked, got kidnapped, taken to Egypt. Nobody knew him from anybody, but God knew him. And it would be said that the hand of the Lord was upon him. He was a prisoner. He was a slave. The hand of the Lord. The, the, the slaveholder, Potiphar, put everything in his charge. Then he ends up in jail, and the jailer puts him. And they keep coming back because the hand of the Lord was upon him. It wasn't in a church house. It, it, it wasn't in his hometown. He was a total stranger to everybody but God himself. And God found a young man that he could bless because he knew he could trust him. And he did. You be that man. You be that person. Instead of checking here and checking here, well, what's this one going to think? And what they, look up this way. Honor him. And he'll honor you. Even in the middle of a disappointment. Honor him. He's bigger than your disappointment. He's older than your disappointment. He's going to last longer than your disappointment. He'll outlive the devil. <laughs> You're going to outlast evil. And his love will win. Anchor your soul to the promise of God. And live, live with your heart still alive with the dream that he gave you. The dreams may morph. The dreams may become and take different shapes. The dreams may move. But a dream that God gave you, a dream that came out of heaven and was put in your heart because the one who fashioned you wanted you to have that hope will never die. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and faith and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Where does the power come to not lose the dream? Where does the power come from to keep on trusting and keep on hoping? It comes from the God of hope by the power of his spirit at work in your chest and in your brain. He brings things to mind just as it seems like he can delete some things from our brains. He can bring things to mind. And when he does that, he's just saying, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Abraham, Abraham. Lord, I'm old. I'm old, Lord, and my wife is well stricken in years. Trust me, Abraham. Trust me. Trust me. Daniel. Lord, the lions hadn't eaten in about six months. And they're fixing to pitch me down there. Trust me, Daniel. Trust me, Daniel. Fiery furnace, fiery furnace getting hotter. Trust me. I'll show you my presence in the furnace. I'll show you my presence. I, I, I just, you know, I, I just, just need to throw this out. We, got it. we need to get a grip on God's math. On God's math. God has math. He works. He works with math. Some of it, part of it is, one chapter of it is you, you give and you shall receive. Don't get all you can. Set on the can. Poison the rest. That, that, that old thing. You give, and it shall be given you in return. But then also on this thing of disappointment, subtraction is necessary in God's economy so there can be multiplication. He has to subtract some stuff in order to multiply some things. Let that in. Let that in. Let that in. Through disappointments, open doors, greatness awaits. It's not just about you being great, but it can be about the Lord showing himself to you as great in a way that you could have never imagined in the comfort of the formal, the familiar, the status quo. Lord, I thank you for these principles in your word, and I thank you for the passages in your word that enunciate and clarify these principles of how you think and how you work. Lord, I ask you to bless your people today with what you know we need to hear and we need to get. Lord, would you, would you allow everything that doesn't need to be remembered to just be taken from us? But as we get up and leave this place and this time in your word, help us to remember every syllable and more than what even the preacher had said, but every syllable that you by your spirit were speaking to our hearts. That we'll go forth in the strength of the word of the Lord, the strength of the power of God. As we leave halftime, church service, to go back out into the game, the real world, the rest of our lives. And Lord, may it be that, that we'd live this way, that we'd let our lights so shine before men, before women, before people, that they would see our good works, even if we're in the middle of a disappointment, 
even if we're in the middle of a strange place, but they would see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven, as Nebuchadnezzar did, as Darius did, so many in Scripture. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, would you say his name with me, the name Jesus? One, two, three. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. In the name of Jesus. When you don't know what to pray, you just speak that name. When you don't know where to go, you just speak that name. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, he said. Whoever believes in me will come unto the Father. Amen.